Last week, we began a great march through the Old Testament. But so that we can finish before Thanksgiving, we're just hitting the highlights. No Levitical laws for us, no endless genealogies, though those have vital importance for the story of the God made known in Jesus Christ, we chose seven big pieces of the story to cover this time around. Father Jordan talked about creation and the fall when we began, how God created the world as a good and beautiful vision, that he made it all out of his great love for us, for humanity, And then as we saw and enjoyed this creation, we started to think we could do it one better. We could improve on this supposed perfection. We could show God what it was that he'd missed. We could be in control. We could be trusted to change things, to be put in charge. This did not turn out so well, as I suspect may also be true in so many small ways in our own everyday lives. When we think that we can be in control, that we can design our best outcomes, that we can make success happen, we can fix anything that's broken, whether relationships or our own wounds or others' brokenness. Just like my son Charles is so certain when he excitedly disconnects every single piece of the vacuum that he can surely put it all back together again by himself. Jordan's words at the end of his sermon were so good last week. I'm going to repeat them. If a good God made a good creation, but we've made such a mess of it that it's beyond our repairing, then what will God do? Will he decide he's had enough and destroy us all? That's the great question of the story of Noah, and the answer it gives us is no. But if God won't destroy us, then what? How will he save us? How can he? Instead of creating a whole new world, God would create for himself a new people, chosen from among all the nations of the world to bear witness to the goodness and beauty of life together that we were made for, and the good God who created us to enjoy it. Looking at Jordan's words and at the story of Abram this morning, I'm struck by what these passages tell us about who this God is. Indeed, isn't that the point of all scripture and the point of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection? We learn by word and action the sort of character and personality of this God who we're invited to worship. As part of the church, that is, all people throughout the whole world who consider themselves followers of Jesus, the church, we are part of God's people and part of Jesus's body. We're little outposts of God's continuing work in the world, little lighthouses, members of a city on a hill with God himself dwelling among us so that all nations might come and see and find the life they were made for. There are two things that I notice in the story this morning about who this God of Abraham, Abram, 
is Abram and Abraham are the same person. This is just Abraham is his name after another covenant that God makes with him a little bit further on. But Abram is his name right now, so that's what I'm using this morning. The God of Abram is a God who asks for trust. Directing his servant in these first verses of chapter 12, our first reading of Genesis, to leave his family and his ancestral lands, to leave everything that he's known, and to do it at the twilight of his life when he's 75 years old. He's already old and gray headed, as it says in the Psalms, and to take a hard journey away from everything that he's ever known just because God said so. It's the same sort of thing that God asked of Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same sort of thing that he asks each one of his people throughout all time, even down to today, this morning, in your pew and in your heart. Will you trust me, God says, that I'm telling you the truth? Will you trust me that I know what I'm doing and that I love you and want what's best for you? Will you trust me? Abram says yes. Abram takes his old wife and his nephew, and they set off, literally, only God knows where. But this isn't where God leaves Abram. God does one better than giving him a new, beautiful land. God makes a covenant, makes a special promise to Abram. Just like anyone who's gotten married has made a covenant with their spouse, and most of us here this morning have made covenants with and for children who have been baptized at that font, God made a promise to Abram. He promised Abram that he would be remembered forever for his trust in God that he would be known as the father of more children than the grains of sand on the seashore and more children than the number of stars in the sky. Children meant everything in Abram's time and place. So this is a big, big deal. Children are like life insurance. And because that's what they were, economically and societally speaking, they were considered to be a a sign of God's favor, too. Infertility or a lack of children wasn't about malfunctioning bodies. In this culture, it was thought of as a curse from God, a way that the gods were turning away from you, making your name and your ancestry end. It was a huge source of shame. And as you may have inferred from the passages this morning, Abram and Sarai had no children. In that way, they were societal outcasts, even considered of a lower religious standing, because God was clearly withholding a blessing from them. Why then would God choose Abram to be the one to father God's own people? Wouldn't God choose someone a little more virile? Wasn't it a big risk that God would put his trust in a body that was so old, let alone one that had proven over several decades of marriage that it couldn't produce? 
when God chose to make a special relationship with a certain group of people, he chose the hardest case. He chose the most unlikely horse in the race. He chose the most hopeless situation, and he made something beautiful. He made salvation out of it. This is the God of Abram, the God made known in Jesus Christ, the God who chooses the dingiest, the oppressed, the least successful, the least proven. But we learn something else about this God in Abram's story recounted this morning too. Not only does he always, always choose the worst case scenario to rescue and redeem, but this God takes all the consequences, all the risk, all the danger, and puts it on himself. In the selection from chapter 15 of Genesis that we read this morning, God makes a covenant with his servant Abram. God does what is Uh, I'm sorry, Abram does what is expected of sacrifices in prehistoric times. He cuts, excuse me, cuts up animals as a symbol of his commitment to the promise that he's making. But then something strange happens. The usual way of things in a sacrifice like this was that the two parties who were entering into the covenant of promise and this relationship of covenant, like a marriage, say, would both walk through the middle of the cut-up animals, one half of the animal on one side, one half on the other. It was a way of saying, if I don't keep my side of the deal, may I be cut up, torn asunder, like these animals I'm walking through. The whole cleaved bloody carcass thing is a little bit dramatic, but it surely shows that these promises are serious, that they mean business. Now, the strange thing about this sacrifice and this covenant, this agreement that God and Abram entered into, is that Abram doesn't walk through the animals. Abram isn't on the hook for anything. Abram doesn't have to commit himself. In case something goes sideways, if he chooses to stop listening, he's not going to be cut in two. In verse 17 of chapter 15 in Genesis, we see that God, in the symbols of the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, he walks through. He is the only one on the hook for the consequences of a broken covenant. If the promises made in this marriage between God and Abram, between God and his people, of whom Abram is the father and therefore the symbol of everyone to come, if those promises are broken by anyone, it's God who agrees to pay the price. God agrees to be on the hook. God agrees, do you see this, brothers and sisters, to hang on a tree. What a staggering revelation 
we received this morning in the story of Abram, the God of Abram, the God made known in Jesus Christ. He is a God who chooses the least likely candidates to put his trust in. And this God takes all the consequences, all the risk on himself. That is grace. That is love. That is hope. In the story of Abram and this covenant, we learn these things about the character of this God. And we see that he's decided the way to bring creation back from the brink, back from brokenness, and that is through love. And not just loving people in a wordy, philosophical, abstract kind of way. God doesn't just send a check to the homeless shelter or dispatch a stork from heaven to give a child to Abram and Sarai. In choosing specific, hopeless people, Abram in this case, and pouring all that love and all that trust and hope into him, God shows how his love is involved. His love is personal and invasive, persuasive, overwhelming, and dare I say, transforming. To draw the line between these big stories and our little lives a bit more clearly, let me close by asking you this morning, what's beyond hope in your life? What's broken beyond repair? What is so old and useless that it is good as dead? Who have you given up on? Whatever and whoever it is, God has not given up hope. This God does not give up. If the problem seems too big to face, the reality is too painful. If the pressure is too much, guess what? It's not too big or too painful or too much for God. He will walk right through the middle of it. He will take it on. He will heal and transform and melt it down and make something new and good and beautiful out of it. And the way that he will do it is through relationships with us, through his people who love him, and who want to share that love with each other and with the world. That is our call, brothers and sisters. That is the reason that St. Augustine's sits here on the little hill on Keist Boulevard, to be a light that shines in Oak Cliff, an outpost of the hope of God, shown in the faces of God's people, 
and in the words and hands and actions of anyone who follows Jesus, any who are children of Abram and heirs of God's great love.